We now turn to hear from God's Word and we read Genesis chapter 4, reading the entirety of the chapter, and then turning over into chapter 5, reading verses 28 through 31. Genesis chapter 4, and then chapter 5, verses 28 through 31. Let us hear God's word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael. And Mahujael fathered Methushael. Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, 
Ada and Zilla, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. But Cain killed him. Seth also was born. A son was born. He called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we jump down to chapter 5, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. He called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground, that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem and and Japheth. So far, the reading of God's word. Our brother will once more lead us in prayer. Our dear, <clears throat> our dear Heavenly Father, it is indeed good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to sing praises to you. It is good to worship with our family in Christ. How wonderful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Thus is your servant, Dr. Trumper, he who proclaims the good news to us today. We pray that you will give him clarity of mind, clarity of voice, to give us his words, your words, not man's. We pray that you will open our ears and our hearts, that the words will sit on our hearts, and will be molded into our lives so that these words would encourage us to go out into the world and proclaim the good news to an otherwise dark world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let us turn in our Bibles then to Genesis 4, verses 17 through 24. And for a comparison at the end of the message this morning, the next Page over, Genesis 5, 28 through 31. It's uh, a joy to be invited back to minister the word and uh, not knowing the congregation well at this point, I did uh, take the unusual step of asking Pastor Bob, well, any particular subjects that you'd like me to touch on? He came back to me and said... uh, Here's an idea. Continue my series on the names of those whose names begin with the letter L. But on one condition, don't take the name of Lazarus. Well, we had a very good sermon last uh, Lord's Day on Lazarus. And so we come uh, this morning to a man called Lamech. In fact, we'll see that there are two men called Lamech, but especially the first one we want to look at this morning. He uh, 
is an important figure in the early years, the early decades, the early centuries of the history of the world as it's recorded for us in the book of Genesis. So we come then this morning to what uh, John Calvin has called the memorable history of Lamech. And we do so for three reasons. First, because Lamech connects us to our own day. We could subtitle the message this morning, Lamech, a man of our times. Notice, not a man for our times, but a man of our times. Because we'll see in the vices of Lamech familiar characteristics of the secular world in which we live today. And we'll be keen to learn about the spirit of our age by what we learn of the spirit of his age heading towards the flood, that historic judgment of God upon the human race. And then secondly, we choose to look at Lamech because he connects us to our Lord. As we come to the end of chapter 4, everything seems dark, especially up to verse 24. There seems no hope. We all want to sit under sermons that give us hope. It is for that reason then, towards the end of the sermon, that we'll compare the first Lamech and the second Lamech, who is found in chapter 5, verses 28 through 31. We are reminded then, as we come to this man Lamech, to abandon all confidence in self, because the stark reality is that by nature, we have been conceived in the very same nature as was the first Lamech and indeed the second Lamech. By looking at the hopelessness of Lamech left in his sins, the first Lamech, we are reminded then to put our trust wholly in the Lord Jesus Christ. He connects us to our Lord. And then the third reason for looking at Lamech this morning is that he connects us to our destiny. He was living under the impending judgment of the flood which was to come. The flood, of course, pictures for us something of the coming day of judgment when Jesus Christ returns in power and in glory. And if you struggle to believe that, you may recall the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, what was happening? Well, people were oblivious. They were marrying and given in marriage. They were eating. They were drinking. They were dancing not understanding that the word that was given to Noah concerning the judgment that was to come did in fact come. And it may well be, if you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that you are very much in that same boat, oblivious to the fact that we live our lives in the light of the presence of God. Oblivious to the fact that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will keep his word, that he will return in power and in glory, and that those who are in Christ are safe, and those who are outside of Christ are in perilous danger. I'm speaking to you this morning, a statement of my late father to my elder brother, which was used of God in his conversion is true for what I've just said. My brother was in the army for nine years. 
We didn't know where he stood spiritually. He'd been a bit of a tear away. The army knocked him into shape. But being knocked into shape by the armed forces doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you an upstanding citizen. One occasion before he went in the army, and he went into the army when he was just two weeks gone, 16 years of age, what they call the junior army in Britain. My father said this to him, which you might be horrified that he said it. And this is what he said to my brother, which was used of God in his conversion. You are walking across the pit of hell on rotting cloth. It's a very stark statement to make. But as we stand back from the way in which secularism numbs our mind to the things of God, the things of eternity, I have to say to you, if you're outside of Christ and are by your life provoking God to his face, that this is the reality, that you live life before this holy God, before this just God, and it is as if you are walking across the pit of hell on rotting cloth. So as we come to the life of Lamech this morning, it begs the question of us whether we are ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we are ready to see the skies opened and Jesus Christ coming back in power and great glory. He's going to be admired by all those who believe. That is why the people of God can say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. But the Scriptures are very clear that for those who are outside of Christ, it is going to be a perilous day. It is going to be a massively daunting day. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, says that those outside of Christ, seeing Him return, call out for the rocks to fall upon them as they see the wrath of the Lamb as they've never seen it before. And so I trust this message this morning will be of significant encouragement to those who are in Christ as we compare the one Lamech with the other Lamech. But I trust also that it will be of awakening effect to any who come to church week by week and yet remain outside of Christ and outside the safety that is found in Him. And so we consider three things this morning. The first thing we consider is Lamech in context. We hardly understand him without understanding his background. And there are three aspects to this context. The first is the spiritual Context. It turns out that Lamech is not, after all, the first person in the Bible with a name that begins with L. There is the Lord. And yet notice the way Moses, the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the author of Genesis, introduces the Lord gradually. And so if you go to the opening chapter, into chapter 2 and verse 3, he is called God consistently. He is the maker of heaven and earth. 
And then from chapter 2 and verse 5 through to the end of chapter 3, he's called the Lord God consistently. The Lord God consistently. You find that to be the case 16 times. And then by the time you come into chapter 4 and verse 1 then through to where we are at in the narrative, the name is reduced to Lord, Yahweh, or the older name, Jehovah, 11 times. Now, what is Moses doing? Moses, of course, is not writing history in the abstract. He is writing history in order to teach the children of Israel. And he wants the children of Israel to know this, that the God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, whom we describe in the Apostles' Creed, is also the Lord who has brought children of Israel into covenant relationship with himself. But here we are in Genesis chapter 4 and What do we notice? We notice that here is Lamech, whose sins we shall see, sinning against the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, rejecting the prospect of relationship with him because he does not want this God to be Lord of his life. So I ask us this morning, how do we regard God? Is he to us some distant creator? We trot out the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, but that's all that he is to me. Some estranged being who in some mystifying way brought me into existence. Or do I go beyond the Apostles' Creed, at least at that point? And say, this God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, is also the God who is Lord of my life. Intentionally so and desirably so. You know, having come into middle age, we all have our testimonies of coming into middle age. One of the things that dawns upon me is that life is all about whether God is our Lord, whether we recognize him as such, whether we own him as such. The spiritual context, Lamech didn't. And then there's the historical context as we look at the first 16 verses of Genesis 4. God's lordship is seen in its significance. Here we see very soberly portrayed the effects of rebellion against God's lordship in the fall. So the original sin which came in with the fall of our human natures gives way now to actual sin. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, and the later verses suggest they also had other children besides. But the narrative focuses on Cain and Abel, and of course you know the story. Cain kills Abel. He murders him. And so from there, Moses is concerned to trace throughout Genesis 4 an ungodly line of those who refused to seek God, of those who said in effect, I am Lord of my life. I will not receive this God over my life, for I am the Lord of my life. So after Cain kills Abel, what happens? Well, God puts upon Cain a curse. And yet, 
in that judgment is nevertheless a mercy. Cain is given opportunity to return to the Lord. But did he use the opportunity? No. Verse 16. Then Cain went from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So I say to you, I say to myself, you know in your life that uh, you have sinned grievously. How do you deal with that sin? You see, God couples on the one hand the punishment of Cain with his kindness toward Cain, the promise of protection, the mark upon him, in order to encourage Cain to return to him to seek forgiveness for this grievous sin. But ominously, Cain goes out into the land of Nod, away from the presence of the Lord. And I say to you, what matters at this point in your life is not so much the history of the grievous sin in your life, but what we do with that sin. Do we use it as an occasion to return to God, or do we use it as an occasion to exacerbate the sin by sinning all the more? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. So if you know that there's been grievous sin in your life, take time out to think of all the ways in which God, notwithstanding your sin, has nevertheless been kind to you, nevertheless been gracious and patient with you, and use that kindness then to reason like this. If God can be kind to me, notwithstanding the fact that he knows the very worst about me, then that kindness is an indication from God that if I return to God with all my heart, then he will extend that kindness in the material and temporal realm to the spiritual realm. And by fixing my eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I will come to know that he is an eminently kind God an eminently patient God, an eminently forgiving God. Don't run from the presence of God. So there's the spiritual context, there's the historical context, there's also the domestic context. Verses 17 and 18. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Now notice what's happening. Cain has refused the opportunity to return to God. And so through his son Enoch, he is looking for ways to find security, because of course that's what sin does. It robs us of security. It gives us a sense of vulnerability. We feel all at sea. We wonder why we feel the way we do, because sin is unconfessed. And so what does Enoch, his son, do? He builds a city. Why? Because having rejected the security that is found in God, he's now looking for that security that which man can create. And so he builds a city. We don't necessarily have to think that it's a great city. We don't necessarily have to think that it's a city in the way in which we would think of a city. But this much is surely true that around the city was a wall. And that wall reflected 
the human endeavor to find security in themselves. And so you notice what happens. Well, Irad is born. And Irad's name means townsman. He grew up in the city. And then he fathered Mehujael. You see, they can't get away from God, for Mehujael means God is the giver of life. And then Mehujael fathers Methushael, which mysteriously means man of God. And then comes along Lamech, who's the great, great, great grandson of Cain. He's born on the broad road leading to destruction. This family is everything, but they don't have relationship with God. So what we are learning here is the principle found as Moses records in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verse 4. God visits the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Oh, God. He shows his mercy to the thousandth generation, says the law, but he certainly visits sins upon the generation to the third and fourth succeeding. And so I say to us this morning, there are two sorts of families amongst us. There are those families who by grace are seeking to overcome, relying upon the gospel, those traits of sin and dysfunction which have come down the family lines. We've heard about the skeletons in the closet. We've seen how sin in the life of the family has caused great havoc and great dysfunction. And so we say, our family needs God. Our family needs the gospel. Our family needs to be in church. Our family needs to break these hereditary lines of dysfunction, sin, and chaos. We need to be in the presence of God. Then there's the other sort of family which has grown up in the church, perhaps. The other sort of family which has taken for granted the things of God. We're beginning to cut corners with our faith. We're beginning to cut corners with the practices of Christianity because we really don't believe that this is true, that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children of the third and fourth generation. And so we let go of the faith. And one generation lets go part of it. The next generation lets go of the next bit of it. And before we know it, we've got agnostics and atheists in our families. We've got people living as they want to live without any thought or fear of God. So I ask us as we look at Lamech in his context, what is the trajectory of our family? Is it upward toward God or is it downward toward destruction? Well, secondly, then, we come to Lamech in conscience. Looking especially at verses 19 through 24. Despite the name of his father, Methushel, man of God, seems he's not born into a spiritual scenario. But Lamech learns, as we are learning as we've come into midlife, that we can only blame our bloodline for so long. Isn't that true? How many of us grew up, maybe even within the Christian church, and we were down on dad, we were down on mum. If only dad could have done this, if only mum could have done this, if only I wasn't brought up in this church, if only I wasn't brought up in this family, oh, my life would have been so much better. And then we start making decisions for ourselves and we realize, hey, 
I can't blame dad for that. I can't blame mum for that. Before we know it, we're going out to the store, buying that cushion. I am become my father after all. I am become my mother after all. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have then to reckon with the fact that it's my decisions which have brought me to the place where I am. And so notice three things then about Lamech's life. He hasn't an entirely seared conscience, but he's pretty close to it. And so we notice verses 19 through 22, his rebellion. He's the seventh generation from Adam, but the first to go against the divine institution of marriage. You will notice from Genesis 2, 18 and 24, how marriage was meant to be monogamous. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, singular. Now Lamech breaks the practice. He goes against the divine institution and he chooses two wives. And the first is Ada, verses 20 and 21. Her name means ornament, suggesting he was driven by her beauty. Nothing wrong with that in itself. But she has two sons. Jabal, wanderer, became famous as a father, and Jubal as a musician. And then his other wife is Zillah, verse 22. Again, the name is significant. It means shade or shelter. Perhaps Lamech, for all his bravado, was still looking for security. So Zilhar has a son and a daughter. The son, Tubal Cain, seems to be an inventor of instruments or weapons in bronze and iron. Nama means pleasant. Dealing then with Lamech's rebellion teaches us both whether we're in the world or in the church. In the world, goings on in Lamech's family remind us that we can have everything. We can have stellar individuals in our family. The father of this, the father of that. And yet, without a relationship with God, we are severely lacking. So sin leads in the family history to dysfunction on the one hand and to damnation on the other. It also teaches us as the church that we are tested in our faith. How do we respond? And even perhaps during these summer months, we see friends and neighbors, family members who have no time for God, and yet they seem to be prospering. How do we greet that? Is it a matter of envy or is it a matter of grief? Do we look at their lives and say, oh, my heart bleeds for them. They have everything this world has to offer, and yet at the end of the day, they have nothing. Can we resonate with Psalm 73? Envious of the ungodly, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and I understood their end. Rebellion of Lamech. And then second, his arrogance, we come to the sword song, which is found here. He writes a poem for his wives. The earliest known poem that we have. Save as the spirit of a man and a family estranged from God. So in it we see how he's become center of his life. Hear my voice. Listen to what 
I say, I have killed a man for wounding me. His is a lordship with a small l, which substitutes for the lordship of God. So we come and say again that either God is the Lord of our lives or we are seeking to be Lord of our lives. Cannot but help think that the current hostility to Christianity revolves centrally and crucially around this issue, the Lordship of Christ. You can talk about God in society. That's fine, so long as you don't apply what that means. You can talk about faith. That's okay too. My faith, denuded of the object of faith, Jesus Christ. That's fine. You can talk about prayer. Everybody wants to talk about prayer. That's fine. Once you start speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, you've crossed a line. Brenda and I were speaking to an acquaintance the other day, expressing how she had hopes for her son that he would pick up from the girlfriend with whom he's living the faith. Well, he may or he may not. But it's when you apply the lordship to your life, and I apply the lordship of Christ to my life, that we either begin winning souls or we become the object of hatred and persecution. His arrogance. And then thirdly, his viciousness. Lamech is not talking here about the right of self-defense. He's boasting of a response out of all proportion to the injury. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And then he goes on demonstrating how much he has risen up against God. And what does he say? Well, he says, Cain was promised protection sevenfold. And my revenge is seventy-sevenfold. This explain the violence in America today, the violence against the unborn, the violence on the streets of the land, a loss of the fear of God, the hubris of putting ourselves in the place of God. The church has dumbed down on God's justice and God's vengeance. Where is the spirit of Hebrews 10:31 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? And so we come thirdly and finally to Lamech in contrast, verses 28 through 31 of chapter 5. See, as we come to the end of the ungodly line in Genesis 4, there seems no hope. All is dark. The flood is coming. Where is the hope to be found? But you notice how Genesis 4 ends with Adam and Eve, and they have another son called Seth. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so as you trace through the names in Genesis 5, you find that they're of an entirely different breed than the ones in Genesis 4. They are calling upon the name of the Lord. So here we see that Moses is not simply putting together this abstract historical narrative, but he is providentially drawing attention to the fact that while all seems dark in the first Lamech, there is hope in the second Lamech. 
that whereas the one Lamech is heading towards death and destruction, the second Lamech has hope, not only for him, but for his family, but as it turns out, for the church of Jesus Christ. So contrast with me. The contrast in life is 28 and 29. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Both men were blessed with marriage. Both men were blessed with children. But the first Lamech prospers materially and temporally, but heads to destruction. The second Lamech, we're not told about his prospering, although he has marriage and he has children, but he is prospering spiritually. He's tired and he's vexed with the world as things are. And so he says, as he gives his first mention of Noah, this man, I'll name him Rest. Because out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Let's be clear. Moses is not teaching us here that the arts and the business world of no purpose, no point. There is a place for art for Christ's sake. There is a place for business for Christ's sake. The distinction between the godly line and the ungodly line is not that one likes art and business and the other one doesn't because they're too spiritual. But that in the one line, it is art for art's sake. It is business for business' sake. And in the godly line, it is art for Christ's sake. It is business for Christ's sake. Amid the callings of our lives, We look then to God for relief and a gearing of our families to remain faithful and useful to God. 2002, I had the privilege of preaching and teaching in Southeast Asia for a month. One of the countries to which I went was Taiwan, the city of Taipei. I will never forget this graveyard to which I was taken in which missionaries were buried. And there was one gravestone there set up by nephews or nieces in memory of an uncle. I forget the name of the man who was buried there, but this is what the gravestone read in German. Sein Leben war Muhe and Arbeit. His life, his troubles and work. He was vexed with the world as he found it. So we look beyond our troubles, we look beyond our work to see the value that Christ places upon them. There was a contrast in their lives. But then verses 30 and 31, there was a contrast in their legacy. Lamech is one of the Old Testament saints, this second Lamech who died in faith. Compare verse 30 here with what we read in chapter 7 and verse 6. And what you notice is this, that this second Lamech died five years before the flood came. He died in faith, looking toward that rest which was to come. But in the meantime, he'd fathered Noah, who carries across the flood the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he may not have prospered as much materially and temporally as the first Lamech, but he surely prospered spiritually. 
And God uses him to safeguard the promise of the gospel. And our hope in the society as we find it today is this, that a greater Noah has come. And he alone can carry us safely across the judgment day to come. The author of Hebrews was thinking of Christ when he said, there remains a rest for the people of God. Are you jaded this morning? What is your attitude when you put on the news? Have you become so immune to all that's going around us that you've lost the ability to see things the way God sees things? Or do you find yourself so vexed, looking and longing for relief? And what is the relief of the people of God? Well, it's found right at the end of the book of Revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. That he is the one who carries the believer safely across the coming judgment. So that whereas we can admire and adore him as he comes. There are those calling that the rocks would fall upon them. But we are safe. How does that happen? Because we have in the Lord Jesus Christ a greater Noah who gives us rest. So as we get ever nearer the end of this age and we daily experience the hubris, the rebellion, the violence of the age, we are faced with two things. And with this I close. We are faced with a question. The question is quite simple. Which line am I in? Am I in the ungodly line which will suffer the full weight of God's justice on the day of judgment? Or am I by grace in the godly line, the one who's going to be carried across the day of judgment into the presence of God because of this greater Noah who has come and will come again? you're outside of Christ today, let me say this. That there are many things peripheral in the Christian faith. Many issues in which you can take that position, you can take this position, you can have friendly debates and discussions about which is right, which is wrong. But if you are outside of Christ, make this your primary concentration Am I in the line of the first Lamech or the second Lamech? Am I headed towards eternal death and destruction or eternal life in the presence of God? Many things are peripheral, but this is not. This is not an issue in which you can put your foot in one line and put your foot in the other. No, you're either in one line or you're in the other line. And the second thing I leave you with this morning is a plea to desist from warring against God. The first Lamech, the name means warrior. First Lamech, always fighting against God. If that is your life this morning, let me say to you, give it up. You can never, never win. The second Lamech, 
looking for that promise of the Messiah who's going to come, prophesying towards it, is not only a warrior against the world, the flesh, and the devil, he is also a conqueror in faith in the one who's going to come to know. And this greater know who's come. The amazing thing is this. This is why we fixate upon the person of the Lord Jesus. And this is why we can face the day of judgment with confidence. There upon the cross, he bore in his own body and soul the full weight of the justice of God that was due to me. And when, as the popular question comes to me, If you were to die today, or if Christ were to return today, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? You would be so fixated with the Lord Jesus. You would simply say, it's because of him. He has borne my judgment at the cross so that I can survive and conquer in the day of judgment. So that when God, who knows all things about me, all the thoughts that I think, all the words that I've spoken and haven't spoken, all the deeds that I have done and have not done, when it's all brought to view, I can smile and say it's covered entirely by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is the one through whom I may enter into God's presence. May God bless these thoughts. We're in the line of the first Lamech. Don't don't chit-chat after church. Get alone with God. Call upon his name. If you think that you can straddle the one line and the other line. Professing faith like a cultural Christian, which is a misnomer in America, saying I can profess that I'm a Christian and live as I like. Let me quote to you the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, words which were quoted to me when I was a teenager. If you live like a worldling, if you claim to be a Christian and live like a worldling, you are but a barefaced liar. Leave the chit-chat. Get alone with God. Ask him for an authentic relationship with him. And if you know by the grace of God that you are in the godly line, by grace, by grace alone, let's have hope. That we nurture our hope the more we make God bless these thoughts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the lessons of the first Lamech, but also the second Lamech. But above all, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, the promised seed being protected through the flood, through the line of Lamech and Noah and so on. Father, we pray that you would follow your word with your blessing that you would accomplish what you intend through it and get all the glory in doing so. 
And as we pray, Father, this day for your blessing, both on the word this morning and the word again this evening. We also think of our young people at the RYS convention, and we think of the cadets there in South Dakota. Pray, Father, that you'll be meeting with our young people according to their needs, that out of them you would be raising up those who would faithfully live for you in the days to which you've called them. And out of their midst you'd be raising up ministers and missionaries. You'd be raising up elders and deacons. You'd be raising up faithful housewives and mothers, faithful members of society who testify that you are a great and a good God, holy and just in all your ways, and yet merciful and kind in Jesus Christ. Make it so then we pray for the glory of your great name, the spread of your kingdom.